You know where we are, 1 Samuel chapter 18. We've broken some new ground here in a new chapter, chapter 18. And as you get settled there, we're going to pick up at verse 1. We're only going to make it down to verse 16. We'll ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the honor and privilege of standing here and sitting here and uh, thinking and meditating about your great and precious promises, your word of life. And it's the source of truth and every good blessing that we have. We, we ask for eyes that can see and ears that can really hear and a heart that understands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we pick up here in the 18th chapter of 1 Samuel. David is uh, about 20 years old. God is raising up this uh, wonderful young man, a very gifted uh, young man, to replace King Saul. Uh, David's a man after God's own heart, and God is really taking him up out of obscurity and a menial task of uh, watching out for his father's sheep there in the sheep pens. And he's raising him up, and he's going to ultimately place him on the throne and make him a very famous man. Now, he, the Lord is slowly but surely moving David into position uh, here in 1 Samuel 18. Uh, the king, King Saul, has been fired Back in chapter 13, verse 14, the Lord said, listen, you're not getting it. And through your disobedience and rebellion, you're proving you don't have a relationship with me. I'm no longer working with you. I've got somebody else in mind. And so King Saul has been fired, but King Saul uh, doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. So he doesn't regard what the Lord has to say or what the Lord thinks about his position. So he's hanging on. Or dear life, because he doesn't value the word of the Lord. Now, David has been moving closer and closer to the palace, providentially through God's hand. And uh, David saw an, uh, an opportunity there in the military uh, to take out a giant for God's honor. So he's becoming well known, because when you kill a Goliath, you kind of, word gets out about you. And so through the High priest Samuel, the Lord has anointed David, and he'll be the next king. Now, before we dive in, you know, funny thing about anointings and being anointed and separated by God for a certain time of growth or a special task in our lives. And we say we have this view of what being anointed uh, looks like. But David's headed now for the next several chapters and so into some tough times he's anointed but now faces a 10-year trial now those are two words that i don't like when they get together 10-year and trial uh, it just sounds nasty well david's um, 20 now he won't be officially king until he's 30 but the lord has anointed him and and god's anointing also prepares us for what he has uh, in store in the future. So the Lord will prepare and shape and deepen David for what lies ahead. I like this quote, and before we get started, really, we see the great things anointing can produce outwardly as God is with a person, 
but we forget how he or she or he the Lord, sorry, must conform his anointed inwardly so that the outward victory isn't in vain. Inner conformity often comes through trouble handed, handled well. And so, you know, just uh, the anointing, the fame, and coming up into the place where God has promised you uh, often is accompanied with a time of testing and challenge and hardship, but the Lord is working in our hearts and lives. So the hand of the Lord is upon David, and David is going to spend now several years suffering under King Saul's jealous, insecure, and murderous rage. So really, this is what's happening. David is going to learn how to kill the inner Goliath. He's already killed the out one, the outer one. That was 10 seconds. Done. Now he's going to become, he was a war hero in 10 seconds. Now he's going to become a man of God. Not in 10 seconds, because you can't become a man of God in 10 seconds. You can get saved in 10 seconds. But the kind of character and depth, the kinds of qualities that uh, resemble the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, it takes years, and, and he's going to take 10 years to become a man of God, and he's going to be driven to the caves, being chased by this crazy king in a jealous fit of rage to murder the true king, King David. And David from the cave is going to uh, write the Psalms that we love and enjoy. He's going to learn how to depend on God and to stand alone, to be patient, kind, and merciful, and forgiving. So the Lord's going to do something sweet here now as we look at 1 Samuel 18. Uh, very wonderful. He's going to give David a best friend to walk through it all with him. Somebody who's affirming and loyal and like-minded and comforting. A friend who sticks closer than a brother, as the Proverbs describes. And so, as far as best friend possibilities, David's about to win the lottery. So, uh, here we go. Here, verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From the day Saul kept David from that day Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword his bow and his belt Now the cure for jealousy if we're going to take this as Roman numeral number one, as I like to say, the cure for jealousy. Now, if anybody should be jealous and threatened by David, it's the crown prince, because Jonathan is King Saul's son, and he is heir apparent to the throne. If David is going to become king, that's not, that doesn't just mean that Saul's out of a job. It means that all of Jonathan's hopes and dreams of being the royal prince and then king one day are over. But here's the blessing of a true friend, and we're going to take a good look at this now this evening. Uh, king Saul's son, Jonathan, 
is standing listening to a conversation here between David and his father Saul. And uh, it's in the aftermath of an awesome defeat of Goliath. Now, uh, you know what happened there. Uh, after he took down Goliath, uh, Saul wants to talk to uh, David. So David comes over and Jonathan is listening. And this is where this, this really unique love and this unique friendship between these two warriors is cemented. And first of all, uh, the text says, one in spirit with David while he's listening. One in spirit with David means that their hearts were knitted together. In fact, the Hebrew is to tie or to bind or to knit. And so there's... Uh, Prince Jonathan, listening in front of his father to David. And he's looking at David's bright face and listening to how he's relating uh, about what just happened. And there was a knitting of his heart together with David's. And the first thing you, you'll notice with me is, is that you knit like materials together. You don't knit yarn with wire. You, you knit yarn with yarn. And, and the first basis for this unbelievably unique love between these two guys is that they are like-minded. In 1 Samuel 14, you'll remember Jonathan says to his armor bearer, let's go take on these Philistines. You know, let's just, you and me, take on the whole army because God, the Lord, can deliver with just two guys just as well as he could with an entire army. And so we see that Jonathan has the same courageous, uh, same uh, love for God and trust for God that David did. And so when he's listening to David after watching him kill Goliath, his heart just goes, man, that guy, I love that guy. So, I mean, can you imagine this scene? Uh, this giant has been terrorizing Israel. And now the nightmare is over. Jonathan was on the front row watching this kid with the sling. And uh, there stands David with Goliath's mammoth sword, bloodied, and Goliath's mammoth head. He's holding on to it, still talking to King Saul. And I can just see the debriefing there, you know, and David's passionate love for God pouring out poetic wisdom and his humble self-abasement and his shiny eyes and his crazy faith and this trust and this joy. And he's talking to King Saul and Jonathan's listening and says, man, that's my kind of guy. We're cut out of the same cloth. He sees a mirror of his own heart, courageous, faith-filled, love for God. And so born out of awe and admiration and mutual respect, uh, Jonathan sees a man he identifies with, a comrade in arms, a man filled with faith, courageous defender of God's people, loyal to God, two peas in a pod. But there's a problem. From the world's perspective, they should be at each other's throats. And as I mentioned, David's rise means Jonathan's demise. But because of David's king, Jonathan's going to be out of a job. But this is why this kind of love is repeated here twice to you so that you can see that how strong God's love is. Um, it's not just a love that's based on being like-minded. 
It's this godly love. It's a love that can overlook interruptions in a service. It's a love here in verse 1 and verse 3. Look, he says it twice. Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. Now, this is a biblical kind of love. The Old Testament command, Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, love others as you love uh, yourself. In the New Testament, Jesus is asked which commandment is the greatest of all, and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love others as you love yourself. That's in Matthew 22. This is the kind of love that Jonathan has for David, and this is the kind of love that we should have for one another. It's this holy love that puts God and others ahead of self. Now, Jonathan isn't jealous. He isn't threatened. He, he doesn't feel any kind of envy because their hearts are one, united in purpose. David's heart, we've already been told, is after God's own heart. So they are one in purpose. They love God and each other more than the throne, more than the position. It doesn't matter who his father is. It doesn't matter who's going to be out of a job or who God is going to promote or who God is going to demote. All that matters is that the God we love is honored and his will is done. That's the kind of love that they had. It's a holy love that puts God and others ahead of itself. So Jonathan gets it. So either during the conversation uh, that he's listening to, the Lord maybe spoke to his heart and said, this, this guy that you're listening to, holding the, the head of Goliath, he's the next king. Or maybe David even said, told Jonathan in passing, I had this crazy thing with Samuel and the anointing. And, uh, but he understands the harsh reality, Jonathan does. And so he takes off his royal robe that was on him and gave it to David along with his armor and his sword and his bow. And, and when Jonathan gives David uh, the robe and his armor, he's in effect saying, you will be the next king of Israel. You should be dressed and armed as the crown prince. God's hand is on you and these rightfully belong to you. Because Jonathan surrendered to God, he could see the hand of the Lord upon David. He knew David's destiny and was perfectly willing to set aside his ambition to honor the Lord's choice. Now, I love what one commentator, David Guzik, wrote about this verse. For his part, David received the robe and Jonathan's armor, but he did not then say or think, good, Jonathan, we all see who's boss around here now. Now get out of my way because I'm going to replace your father as soon as I can. Now it would be some 10 years until David took the throne of Israel and replaced Saul. Uh, if Jonathan was ready to recognize David as God's choice for the next king, David was willing to let God put him on the throne. And in God's timing, both of these men were thoroughly submitted to the Lord. And too bad that we don't have more of this kind of love between men and women of God. This kind of love, of course, is the remedy to thousands of terrible, ugly, nasty church splits 
and embarrassing power struggles in ministries that defame and dishonor God and his work. Jonathan and David will have nothing to do with that kind of base way of life because they love each other and they love God more than they love themselves, more than they love the throne of Israel. Jealousy kills. Bitterness defiles. Envy rots our souls. Selfish ambition destroys. And love is the remedy for all. Now in verse 3, in the Hebrew, it's not they made a covenant. They cut a covenant. And back in those days, those who covenanted with one another, uh, first they swore friendship and an agreement of loyalty. Then they cut up animal pieces and uh, put them in pieces along the side and made a path between their bloody carcasses. Sorry, this is how they did it. And they walked through them, signaling wishing to be cut in pieces rather than to be disloyal or untrue to one another. And so Jonathan and David had this covenant. They'd rather die than be disloyal to each other than to let jealousy get in between them and hurt the work of God in their midst. And P.S., sadly, men with warped minds and sinful hearts will ascribe unnatural and blasphemous things about this beautiful and holy friendship and love. The Apostle Peter calls these kinds of men ignorant and unstable, people who distort the scriptures to their own destruction. People who insinuate that Jonathan and David had anything more than a holy love. With that said, I'm just going to go to verse 5. Whatever whatever Saul sent David to do, David did so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. Uh, as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Uh-oh. <laughs> Nothing wrong with verse 1, but verse 2 could get somebody in a lot of trouble. All right, number 8. Uh, Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But me, with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. So number two, the cause of jealousy. So we've had the cure for jealousy is God's love. The cause of jealousy now. Here comes the green-eyed monster of jealousy. So the king's son can sidestep jealousy because of love, but the king can't because he has no love for God. He only loves himself and he loves his throne. And now David has become a threat. Now, David's not the problem, but he will reveal the problem for sure. Uh, 
So David rises now in the ranks. Uh, verse 5, David is useful. Uh, it's good to have uh, a fearless giant killer around. Um, Saul sends David out to fight some battles or whatever important tasks. And the Hebrew there for success, David always there in verse 5, David always uses wisdom and does a great job. So the verb there in the Hebrew is he's a success, but he's a success with wisdom. It's wisdom and achievement together there. So David's responsible and he's dependable. So David sought to serve his boss wisely in every way. So even though he knows he's supposed to be the king and this guy's an imposter, he's the authority, he's his boss, he's hired him. And he's going to serve him. And it's just incredible that he doesn't have an attitude. He's not trying to, to create problems or to cause uh, a way to bring King Saul down so that he can get in there because he knows he's the rightful guy. But he serves and it just says he's responsible and, and dependable. He understands I'm going to work hard for this guy. He never undercuts Saul's position or authority in any way. And Saul keeps promoting him. There in verse 5, Saul's military attendants see what's going on and they're starting to like David. Not only just the military guys, but all of Israel. is uh, David is now becoming well-received. They see the wisdom. They see the peace of God in him. Um, and the people's hearts are drawn to David and they're pleased with him. Well, not everybody. Now here in verse 6, uh, David starts to be seen as a threat, and, and here comes the starter dough, the yeast of what's going to take the uh, bitterness and the resentment and the jealousy of rage, uh, and rage uh, in Saul's heart and turn, it, turn him into a monster. So it begins last chapter on the way back into town after David's stunning defeat over Goliath, after the armies uh, chased down the Philistines for 10 miles, taking their plunder uh, here they come back now from Goliath. Goliath has been killed. They've chased the Philistines uh, 10 miles. They've got the plunder and they're on their way back home. And the ladies have come out and they're all dressed up and they look beautiful. Now, this girls, just let me tell you, this is every guy's dream right here to come back into town as war heroes and all the ladies are around, the moms and the sisters and the girlfriends and, 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 and the, everybody's there and they're all singing your praises and writing songs about you. And uh, it's just a wonderful thought. Amen. Well, here they come back into town and uh, here goes the song. Saul has killed thousands of bad guys. Verse one, Saul smiling. Wow, they're singing songs about me. And here comes verse 2 of the song. And David is killed 10 times more. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like I heard this chant in my head. Saul, Saul, he's our man. If he can't do it, David can. <laughs> oh, yeah. You like that one? I made it up. <laughs> well, now, instead of being grateful that this king who is in non-compliance with God's will, 
people are still ascribing to him a victory of slaying thousands of people. You know what? There was this Goliath guy for 40 days that terrorized everybody. And did you do one thing? No. He should be grateful that they've even included him in the song. But instead, no, he burns with anger and it, quote, galled him. The word there means grieved, or I would, I would say tweaked him to no end. It irritated him. Now, are we surprised? He doesn't know the Lord. The Holy Spirit can't affirm him. He has no hope of, of, of hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you know where he gets his affirmation? from people around him. This is how he feels well. His wellness check every day is, does everybody like me? And apparently his whole world is going to cave in. Now why? Because not everybody likes me as much as they like David. And so now my world, because I don't get affirmed from heaven, is all upside down because I depend on everybody's affirmation. When that's threatened... I'm not well. And now look out, everybody, because I'm mad. How about David? He handles it pretty well. When you are praised and popular, it isn't wise to let it go to your head. David was no doubt happy to hear these affirming words, but he didn't let it dominate his thinking or change his opinion of himself. He kept the heart and the mind of a shepherd even in a season of great success. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 21. The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but man is tested by the praise he receives. And so he does pretty good, David does, with this. Now, here's a paraphrase of verse 8. When Saul hears the second verse of the song, he burns with anger and was indignant. He says to himself, they're giving this guy credit for 10 times what they're giving me. What's next? It's just a matter of time before he tries to steal the throne out from under me. Well, you know what? First of all, excuse me, you were fired back in chapter 13. It's not your throne. Chapter 13, verse 14, go back and read it for yourself. You're fired. The Lord said it's not your throne anymore, but he's clinging to it. He says, what more does he want? He's going to get my kingdom. And that's unbelievable. Saul's response is the exact opposite of John the Baptist. And everybody goes to John and says, you know, Jesus is way more popular than you. I mean, everybody's going to him. And John says, yeah, he must increase. I must decrease. The hardest two little sentences any human mouth ever had to say. Now, I wanted to know the origin of green-eyed monster because that's what we talk about when we talk about somebody filled with jealousy. And I found out it came from Shakespeare, and I'll read you what I looked up. Shakespeare makes at least two references to the green-eyed monster. The first is in Othello, quote, Oh, beware, my lord of jealousy. It is the green-eyed monster which, which doth mock the meat it feeds on. 
It is thought that Shakespeare was making particular reference to the way a green-eyed cat will cruelly play with a mouse, bird, or whatever, before it kills it. It will be tender toward the mouse, carrying it, gently tapping it, offering it the chance to escape, only to recapture it again. But ultimately, it hates the mouse or the bird and will kill it. So when Shakespeare describes the green-eyed monster, he is talking not just about the love-hate relationship that cats have with their prey, but also how a person who is jealous of their lover will have a love-hate relationship with that person, love that gives way to hate at any sudden moment, so they have become that green-eyed monster. Saul liked David very much. That's a quote from the scriptures. Saul employed him, liked having him around. Saul promoted him until he made the lethal mistake of becoming more popular than Saul. Warren Wearsby on this passage. Envies the pain we feel within when somebody achieves or receives what we think belongs to us. Envy is the sin of successful people who can't stand to see others reach their heights, the heights that they themselves have reached and eventually will replace them. By nature, we want to be recognized and applauded, and from childhood, we have been taught to compete with others. Dr. Bob Cook often reminded us that everyone wears a sign that reads, please make me feel important. So my young Christian friend out there tonight listening to me, when you're dating and you find out that your new gal or your new guy has got a jealousy problem, that's kind of a daily inordinate thing that's going on. Insecurity and jealousy day in and day out. Get out while you can. That is my advice to you. That is what dating is for, is it not? Dating is to discover what kind of character this person has. If this person is jealous every day, this is not a good thing. And it's a signal from God that there are other alternatives out there for you. Uh, Verse (laughs) 9. Now, from that time forward, the Bible says that Saul saw David through the lens of jealous insecurity. So Saul's poisoned now. From this point out, he's allowed this to grab a hold of him. He's going to look cockeyed at David. And these kinds of things that we let go into our hearts, like bitterness and envy and jealousy and unforgiveness and anger and hate and all these things that we let get into our heart, it causes us to become emotionally and spiritually insane. You can no longer look at the world right again. So now he's keeping a jealous, suspect eye on David. David can't say or do anything without Saul misunderstanding everything because he's infected. He's poisoned. This is terrible. And what does the proverb say? Above everything else, that means this is pretty important. Above everything else, guard your heart 
Because from your heart, your entire life flows. So if your heart is compromised with bitterness and envy and selfish ambition and these kinds of things, your entire life is skewed upside down, poisoned and muddied. Nothing you see will be right anymore. You can't make heads or tails of anything because of bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, and these kinds of things. Let's finish up here, 10 through 15. So the next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand. And he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but he had left Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaign. So we're just going to finish up here. Roman numeral number three, the consequences of jealousy. So we've had the cure for jealousy, God's agape love for God and one another, the, the cause for jealousy, insecurity, and a lack of relationship and maturity in Christ, and then the consequence of jealousy, rage. Somebody's going to get hurt. Now, um, the kind, this is the kind of thing that Jesus warned us about. In Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, uh, let me paraphrase, all right? He says, you think just because you don't do the actual deed of murder, you're okay with murderous anger in your heart towards someone. But actually, if you're angry enough to curse him out, you're angry enough to kill. It's kind of the idea there in Sermon on the Mount. And then John follows it up in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 15. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. So an angry person is a murderous person as well as a hateful person. So let's do the math then. A jealous person is a hater, and a hater is angry, and angry people kill. So jealousy wishes the other to be no more, and Saul can no longer hide or contain the consequences of his jealous insecurity, so David's got to go. So what's going on here? It's an interesting scene, isn't it, here at the royal courts? Uh, Verses 10 and 11, this demonic spirit comes forcefully upon Saul. And so Saul then is prophesying with a spear in his hand that ends up being hurled at David not once but twice. So first of all, you'll recall that Saul has a demon oppression problem. It was first mentioned in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 14. This oppression was permitted by the Lord uh, who had removed his blessing from Saul and sort of allowed this to happen so that perhaps this guy in his suffering would turn things around and cry out and repent and be blessed. 
And you'll recall that King, uh, King to be David was brought in to soothe and minister by playing uh, psalms upon his harp. And whenever he did, Saul was relieved from his suffering. But verse 10, while this demon spirit is manifesting with Saul in agony, he's prophesying. Now, here the Hebrew grammar is very helpful. It can mean idle rantings or babblings or making incoherent statements in the name of the Lord. And so you already see in verse 12 that the Lord's presence has left him. He's not being blessed by the Lord. So whatever he's prophesying is just like, for example, Oh, Lord, destroy mine enemies. God will establish my kingdom. Thus saith the Lord. And that's kind of what's happening there. Now, you do realize that not every thus saith the Lord is really the Lord speaking. Amen? And that's definitely what's going on here. And so, the same hands that cut off Goliath's head, sweetly plucking the harp and making beautiful music, serving a man who wants to kill him. Now, for most of us, we might read this quote and so and so picked the spear up off of the floor went over to Saul and said if Goliath couldn't scare me you sure can't and if Goliath couldn't kill me you sure can't and with one thrust of the spear so and so pinned Saul to the wall here's what one writer had to say about that But you'll notice David doesn't pick the spear up. He does flee for his life, but he doesn't pick the spear up and he doesn't throw it back. He simply escapes. No one could blame David if he struck back. It could easily be called self-defense, but David had a different kind of heart. It wasn't a matter of what he could get away with, but it was a matter of what God's heart wanted. David was determined to leave the situation in God's hands and not take the throne himself. God would have to take care of Saul because David wouldn't do it. David's a different kind of king. He's seeking, he may be crazy, but he's God's king for now. And I'm not going to be the one to manipulate things. That is up to God. David respects the flow of authority, flawed as it is, and he's not going to lift his finger to King Saul. He'll dodge the spear, but he is not going to throw the spear back. Now, did you see that it happened twice? Do you know what that means, right? He came back again a second time, and it happened again. Uh, One commentator said, you know, David dodged two spears, a physical one, the javelin that could have killed him, and a spiritual one, rage, revenge, hate, and anger. I uh, used to teach a class at the seminary, and uh, as a professor to up-and-coming ministers, I could make them uh, read a book and then report on it. And so I chose a book that uh, I mandated every one of my students had to read. And it was called Tale of Three Kings. And it's written by Gene 
Edwards. And here's a comment from that book that we all read together about David not throwing the spear back at the crazy king. In doing this small feat of returning thrown spears. So the point is, what if David would have thrown the spear? He said, what if you throw the spear back? What kind of king does that make you? And here's the comment. In doing this small feat of returning thrown spears, you will prove many things. First of all, you're going to prove, wow, you're very courageous. You stand up for the right. You boldly stand against the wrong. You are tough and you can't be pushed around. You will not stand for injustice or unfair treatment. You are the defender of the faith, the keeper of the flame, the detector of all heresy. You will not be wronged. All of these attributes then combine to prove that you are so obviously a candidate for kingship. Yes, perhaps you are the Lord's anointed. But after all, after the order of King Saul. So he's making the point that David is not the kind of king that King Saul is. He doesn't pick up and throw the spear back. He gets out of harm's way, but he entrusts his life to God. For David, you know what? He's happy taking care of the sheep. He didn't ask for any of this. He doesn't want the position. He's wild about it. He's happy to take it if God wants him to have it, but he doesn't have to have it. And he's not trying to get it. He's saying, God, I'll do your will. And if you want me to sit on the throne, there's somebody on the throne. And he's throwing spears at me, but that's not the kind of man I am. I know I'm going to get the throne by killing the king. Even though he may be crazy and I'm truly the real anointed deal. He says, God, you take care of this. I'm just going to step out of the way of harm's way. But I trust my life to you. He's not driven by selfish ambition. He can submit to authority as unto the Lord. And he will trust God to make the changes He's just plain happy serving God where he's at. Verses 12 and 15, David's apparent weakness is terrifying to King Saul because King Saul knows this guy's the real deal. So it says twice, King Saul's really, really afraid of David because he's got the genuine anointing. And here he is, he's just running away from the guy and King Saul detects this guy's legit and he's afraid. So while King Saul is declining in a demonic, humiliating downward spiral, David is soaring and being blessed with power and joy and victory in the Holy Spirit, and everybody's realizing it. Here's what I want to conclude with uh, tonight. A happy ending could have started at verse 17. We could have been reading this now. David comes back from the campaign that Saul just sent him on. He wants him to get killed, by the way. That's why he keeps sending him out to fight the battles. But he doesn't get killed. He keeps getting promoted and winning. And so he comes back, and verse 17 could say, and then Saul got off of his throne and said, I realize the error of my ways. You are the true king. I bow my knee right now before the Lord, and I repent of this terrible jealousy and this rage 
I see, I understand. I'm done with the tormented bitterness and the jealousy. Today's the last day. How proud Jonathan would be to read chapter 18 even today because Jonathan is alive today. Jonathan's a believer. He's in heaven. But he has to read chapter 18 and know that was my earthly father who dishonored God and dishonored me and dishonored the Lord and dishonored Israel. And all it would have taken is just a little softness of heart, a little repentance. And you would have been reading from verse 16, a reconciliation, a little redemption, and just to see how the Lord would take a broken life like King Saul. Instead, 10 more years. And I don't know, is it 16, 12, 13, 14 more chapters of this same thing? Worse and worse and worse and worse. All because he won't just humble his heart. Could have been a happy ending. And it can be a happy ending tonight. So I want to close and ask you the question about your own heart. What's going on in there? There anything that ought to be confessed out? You have any bitterness? You angry? You don't like somebody? You resent them? You're jealous? There's some bitterness? The lie from the devil is that you can handle just a little bit of that. Just tuck it away. I mean, is that the human condition? I'm telling you, don't you be thinking about who's sitting next to you or who should have been here tonight. You be thinking about your own heart. Is everybody forgiven? Is everything okay in there? <laughs> Am I holding anything? Because I'll tell you what, this thing will grow a root of bitterness, springs up, and many people are defiled by it. The human heart, above all things, guard it because your whole life is coming out of that place. You want to keep that place clean and protected. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this quick study on jealousy and the life of a crazy king. Father, how it brought him down and hurt so many people and caused shame and and all the while, your Holy Spirit working with him and wanting him to turn around, confess these things and be cleansed and freed and healed. Father, how easy you've made it for us to open our hearts. And as we sing this last song, Father, work by your Holy Spirit to touch the areas that we need to confess to you and be set free, that your Holy Spirit could clean out some areas and do some preventive work in our hearts and lives. In Christ's name, amen.